Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we're going to sell the most important product in the entire world, the best product that could ever exist. It's you. We're talking about how to find a job, how to prospect into your job, how to negotiate an offer, how to nail the interview every single step of the way. Nick, why should people listen? Well, look, if you want to be a top 1% salesperson, you probably want to work at a top 1% company. But the problem is those top 1% companies are inundated with resumes and applicants. And you cannot be perceived to be better unless you're first perceived to be different. And so we are going to talk about how to break the mold in every way when you're trying to land a kick-ass sales job. From getting the interview, to nailing the interview, to negotiating to get the most out of your offer. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. 
Finder. Now, we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. So let us start with where the heck should we be applying, Armand? Well, as always, everything in sales begins with prospecting. And so step number one is you need to build your criteria and you need to build your target list. There are four things that matter to me when I'm looking for a sales job. Number one, the space. Do you care about legal tech? Do you care about marketing tech, fintech, what have you? Number two, the size of company. A series A and B company, you're going to have a lot more flexibility and room to grow and rise with the tides of the organization, but it's going to be super ambiguous. There's going to be almost no training for you. And that's fine if you're comfortable with that. It's not fine if you want to work for a place like Oracle or Salesforce, where there's a million hours of training. You go through all of your certifications in your playbooks, but you basically get your territory of X accounts and you're expected to come in and carry a quota. And that is it. They do not need your help building the organization. That's stage number two. Number three, prestige. I recommend everybody, if you have the option to work for a company that may not even have the biggest name brand, but at least has good investors behind that, at least have a couple of those in your application book. And the way you can do that is just Google top 10 smart money investors in Silicon Valley. You'll find the list of those 10 folks. It's Andreessen, it's Sequoia, the the common names that everyone knows about. And then just go on Crunchbase and look at the B2B companies that Andreessen and Sequoia have invested in, and that will easily help you build your list of 10, 20, 30 companies to apply to. And then lastly, number four, you look at your deal size and your complexity. If you're working for a place like, I don't know, an insurance agency or even somewhere like Yelp, these are awesome high energy fun cultures, but they're also really transactional one call closes versus if you're selling SAP or something like that, you're usually in a six month long ERP type deal cycle. All right. So at the end of this, you find your list of 25 accounts. And now what you need to do is you need to create a resume. And here are a couple tips for creating a non-hideous resume. Number one, let's talk about what's in the resume. In terms of the content, you need to have your numbers in there. Net sales is a numbers game. So you should have your activity numbers leading to your pipeline numbers, leading to your revenue numbers, which tells you about however well you did against quota. Now, if your numbers aren't great, that's okay. Try to lean into things like the biggest deal that you close or some record you set for the company or maybe you're the second rep out of out of five or whatever else it might be. There's something you can say. Even if no one on your team is hitting quota, you might be top of the pack, but find some numbers that tell a story about why you're great, okay? Now let's get into the formatting of the resume. You're going to have a series of job experiences. I'm saying this once, it's got to be on one page, guys. There are enough people who hate seeing resumes more than one page, myself included, that even if you have a really good two-page resume, you should just get it on one page because enough people will just disqualify you. And the way you do this is your bullets taper. So your first experience usually has three or four bullets, and then your next has two or three, and then the next has one or two, and then the last least recent experiences might only have one bullet or one sentence. And that's because it's far less relevant experience nowadays. And the last thing is on these bullets, they should all be structured as so what action statements. And what I mean by that is it should not say responsible for working accounts or made cold calls. It should say made cold calls to build X hundred thousand dollars of pipeline per month. In other words, I did X, so that Y. 
So that's how you build a resume. Numbers, taper your job experience, and then two line bullets of so what action statements. Okay, Nick, so we have our resume, we have our target account list, we gotta start prospecting. How do I network my way into a job? Okay, so here's what I am not going to do. I am not going to just send that resume off into cyberspace on the job posting and hope that I get a call back. I'm going to be proactive, not reactive. And so step one is I am going to take a prospecting on LinkedIn approach. I'm going to find 10 people at the company at which I want to work, and I'm going to send them a message that says something like, Armand, I'm thinking about applying at PAVE, and I see that you've been there for the last two and a half years. I have a couple specific questions about the industry and the sales cycle. Do you have 10 minutes to answer some of those questions for me? Not all 10 people are going to reply. Don't be insulted. That's okay. People are busy. But you're going to get three people that reach out to you and say, all right, here's my calendar book a time. So now I'm on that meeting, Armand, and here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to show up and ask for a general, well, tell me about your business and tell me about what it looks like. And can I pick your brain? Ditch the phrase, pick your brain. If you ever use that in any sort of outreach, it's so vague. People don't know what it means and they're scared of vagueness. Never say that. Say you have some specific questions, but you show up and you need to have a point of view in that conversation. So what you should do is spend 10 minutes, look at the person who you're talking to. Hey, I saw you transition from insurance sales to SaaS. Can you tell me about what that looks like? Because I'm in sort of a transactional sale right now, and I feel comfortable making a ton of cold calls, but like, what were three of the biggest differences that you saw? Or hey, I saw a new competitor has emerged in your space, and I think that you guys are, are sort of head-to-head -head with your business intelligence tool, and I'm, I'm curious about how you position those things against each other. Even if your hunch is sort of wrong, the fact that you're being extremely thoughtful and specific is going to impress the other person. And then you want to make sure that you show a little bit of energy. You want to show the person like, hey, if we worked together, this person would actually be kind of fun. I could potentially see myself going to a happy hour with them. Anything else that I want to make sure I nail on that informational interview, Armand? I mean, the, the way that you close this thing out is a lot of people think you have to sell yourself. You don't. If you ask really good, thoughtful questions and show that you research their competitors and you know how you're going to start the job, you can just use a humbling disclaimer at the end and say, look, I feel a little bit awkward asking this, but I just applied. And usually internally, there's a way for you to like ping a recruiter or tag my resume so it doesn't get lost in the pile. I, I mean, based on our conversation today, would you be completely against maybe sending a ping over to the recruiting team, letting them know I exist? And nine times out of 10, if you do this right, you'll get that referral. Beautiful. So now there's another couple ways that you could break into some of the accounts that you want to sell for. The first is my favorite thing in the world, which is making a cold call. Hey, you're going to be making cold calls when you're working at the company, so you might as well get a head start now to break in and get the job. So if I want to work at PAVE, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find the VP of sales, my good friend here, Armand Farouk. I'm going to aim high. Even if I'm not going to report to Armand directly, he is the person with power. And if he sends a message to the director saying, hey, take a look at this guy, I'm going to have an in. And I'm going to find Armand's phone number on the internet. I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call Armand. And when he grumpily answers and says, hello, I'm going to say, Armand, my name is Nick Sigelski. I'm calling you because I want to be a salesperson for PAVE. I have three reasons why I think I'm a good fit. Do you mind if I take 30 seconds? I'll tell you what those reasons are, and then you can tell me whether or not we should speak more. One of those reasons is going to be, and by the way, I had the guts to pick up the phone and cold call you. You better believe I'm going to do that every day if I'm on your team. That's what I'm going to do from a cold call perspective. Most people are terrified of doing that. What if I insult Armand? What if he's busy? What if he doesn't like cold calls? Well, geez, if Armand gets mad that one of his potential reps is cold calling him, I probably don't want to work for him. Now, one other thing you can do if you want to build a broader pipeline and you're not immediately looking for a new job is 
trade shows. Whenever I go to a trade show for my company, you better believe I am wandering the halls and I am talking to people at every single booth. And no, it is not just because I love free chapstick and peppermints. It is because I want to have networking conversations with reps in the same space as me because I'm probably going to be hiring people in the near future and I want to have a network of those people. Or they might be hiring and they're going to be impressed that I actually came and had an intellectual conversation and I didn't just grab a handful of mints and bolt. So find a way to build your pipeline for the future also. So now, Armand, we have gotten the interview. We've secured the meeting on the calendar. It's time to prepare for the interview. Alrighty, this one's going to be quick, guys. And so Nick talked about developing a point of view, and that's the vast majority of how you prep for an interview. Develop a point of view on if you're starting the job today, what might you do to ramp yourself? Why do you care about this company? And then what are some of the challenges you think sellers are having? And those are your tough questions. All right. The other thing that's slightly different is you're going to go a little bit deeper on the person and on the company. Okay. In the informationals, you might not go crazy about that, but you should know for everyone on your panel, where did they work before? How long have they been at the company? What's their role today? Have they performed well? Any accolades? And you can call those out at the beginning of your interview. And then the last thing is you should know the basics is things like get your Zoom set up the right way. A lot of times people take interviews on Zoom with their phone and they're fiddling with their phone, selfieing me. And I'm trying to ask them hard interview questions. Don't be that guy or gal, please. Okay. And then last thing is if you really want to jump the gun, you can actually send a pre-video to the person that you're about to interview with. And you can just say, hey, I'm excited to speak with you. Here are the things that I'm hoping to get out of the call and jump the gun right there. It'll show that you have some personality. So Nick, before we start the interview process, anything I miss? Well, if you followed our advice here, you probably have some new buddies on LinkedIn who helped you get this interview. What you better do is say, hey, I wanted to let you know and close the loop that I have an interview set up with Armand next Thursday. I really appreciate you helping me with that. I want to make sure that I nail this interview. Is there anything specific that you know is really important to Armand? I've done this before and I literally got told that, hey, just so you know, you're only going to ask one question. It's a very specific like interview methodology that you're about to walk into. Here's the link to it. And you better believe I crushed that interview because I actually knew what was coming. Anything you can do to stack the deck and do a little bit of prep work is really, really important. So now you show up to the interview, you've booted up your Zoom, you've got your ring light going, you've got your best suit and tie on, you're a little bit nervous, but you're ready for this thing. Armand pops on, and Armand, what is, what's, what's, what am I gonna do in the beginning of that interview? In the first 90 seconds, just like on a discovery call, you should be pulling in the context you know about that prospect or company to start a conversation. And the, the same thing goes for this interview is you don't just wait for them to start the conversation. I might say, Nick, I, I saw that you just got promoted. Congrats. Or I, I might say, Nick, you and I were both wrestlers back in the day. Who would have known? And the implicit thing that you're doing is you're letting them know you did your research in the first 90 seconds and you're setting the tone for that call. Eventually, you can't build rapport forever, but you should spend some good time to do it. And they're going to ask you something along the lines of, great, tell me about yourself or walk me through your resume. And this is when it usually goes deeply downhill. And I will challenge you guys. Rule number one, your riff must be under three minutes. No longer than three minutes. There are a couple areas you're going to want to zone in on. All right. Number one, you're going to want to zone in on the key transitions 
from job to job. Why did you make each jump that you made? Number two, you want them to remember one thing max about how you crushed each important experience. And then lastly, number three, you want them to know why the heck you're different and why you're here in the first place. This is your opportunity to craft a narrative. When somebody says, tell me about yourself, they're not asking for a rote encyclopedia history. They're asking you, tell me about what's relevant here. One of the things that I always do is I try to direct the interview in the area of my strengths and away from my weaknesses, just like if you're on a sales call. And so when I was applying for my first AE job, some of you might not know that that failed startup that Armand and I had, we did together. And I was coming from an SDR job that the company was going downhill and I wasn't doing well there either. And I didn't want to spend that interview talking about the SDR job. I wanted to spend that interview talking about the company that Armand and I started and ran for a couple years. And so instead of saying, well, I'm currently at XYZ and I'm making 42 dials a day, I said, well, I think the area that's most relevant to the role that I'm applying for now is the company that I started a couple years ago. And I can share a little bit about that. And so what I did was I directed the interview to what I wanted to talk about where I knew I could shine. We spent almost no time talking about the SDR job. And what do you know? I ended up getting the AE offer. Now, let's talk about when you might have some objections. You might not be doing great in your space. You might be trying to transition industries. How do I overcome objections that might stop me from getting an offer, Armand? Yeah. And so the key thing here is you can't hide behind these objections. So if you know people are going to ask why you left a job in six months, just get that out on the front end of the process, right? And the key thing is nobody stays in a job forever, but what I want to hear is that you've left for the right reasons. The wrong reasons are, oh, my manager was a jerk. Oh, I wasn't getting any training and development and I wanted people to spend more time to me. All these things sound like things where it's like, oh, you wanted investment from other people, but what did you do to invest in your own development? Make that clear and then just make it a positive in terms of, hey, what I really care about in this next company that I'm looking for is I really want to work for people like X, Y, and Z, and that's what's getting me excited. And I just don't have that today. And that's why you and I are talking is I'm super excited to be here, right? So spin these things as a positive instead of spinning these things as negatives. All right. So we're in the middle of the interview. And guys, the, the biggest place that I honestly see people fail is the, the energy is just through the floor. And I, I get it. Not everyone's always drinking a bunch of Red Bulls like me and Nick, but have a rip right through it mindset. Come in like you're excited about the gig. Don't be fake or non-authentic about it, but show that you've done your research and show that you have a conviction that you want to work at this place. So that's number one, have a rip right through it mindset. Number two is throughout the interview, Try to weave in your personal brand as to like, what do I really want people to remember? So on your opening riff, if you can have a point or two about like what makes you different or how you sell, and then as you answer questions, remind people like, hey, like as I mentioned earlier on, like one of the things that I care a lot about is disqualifying early or making sure I don't waste time on certain types of things, right? If you can have them remember a couple things about your brand throughout the interview, people don't remember 10 things. They're only going to remember one thing. Try to weave those in throughout the conversation, all right? So Nick, they start asking you some questions what do I need to do to actually 
answer these questions effectively. The big theme that you need to keep in mind is I want to change this from an interview to a collaboration on how I'm going to succeed in the role. And so this starts with when you get asked questions, the other person is trying to figure out, are you going to be able to succeed in this role? So they might ask you something like, Nick, can you tell me a little bit about your prospecting process? And just like you see us push guests on this show to be extremely specific, so should you. Now, that doesn't mean you spend 14 minutes talking about everything every single discrete step of how you prospect, but it also doesn't mean I say, yeah, I make an effort to prospect every day. What I might say is, yeah, I think prospecting is probably the most important indicator of success. I schedule 60 minutes on my calendar every afternoon from one to two o'clock. I found that it works best for me if I have it on my calendar just for prospecting. And so what I do is I shut down Slack, I shut down email, I shut down LinkedIn, and all I'm doing is calling and emailing prospective customers. Now, even if your interviewer disagrees with that approach, they're still going to be able to picture that, oh, this is somebody who actually prospects. He's giving me specific details. Now, when I end that riff explaining my prospecting process, I'm not just going to sit there with a blank stare. I want to answer back with a question because what that does is it pulls Armand in to get information out of him. And so after I give that, here's how I prospect riff, I might say, I guess I'm curious to hear if you feel like that matches up with what some of your best reps are doing, or if you feel like they're taking a totally different approach, because I'm always interested in learning and getting better. Now Armand's answering back and saying, yeah, you know, that's interesting. We've had a lot of success with video prospecting recently. Great. Now we can have a conversation with that. And it's no longer Armand trying to figure out, is this guy good or not? It's we're collaborating on how I'm going to crush it in my first month. So there are common questions that you need to have a couple bullet points for because you're probably going to get asked them in every sales interview. Tell me about your prospecting process. What's your approach to running a discovery call? What are some of the first things that you're going to do when you come into this role to make sure that you succeed? Tell me about how you've performed relative to your peers. Can you tell me a little bit about your sales cycle? What's your superpower? Now, look, if you don't have a couple bullet points about how you're going to answer those questions, you're going to come across flat-footed. Have some bullets. Be ready to crush those answers. So we've nailed the interview, Armand. We're wrapping things up. How do I close out a sales interview? All right, so we talked about bringing in the hard questions. If you are a really good active listener, you're not just gonna plop open your notebook and use all your pre-prepared questions. Along the way throughout the interview, you should just be taking notes and jotting down other things that you want to ask about based on the questions that they asked you. So don't just use the same regurgitated questions that you researched at the beginning. That would be like asking the same questions in every single discovery call you've ever had. If you're at the later stages of the process, what I've seen the best reps do is they put together a 30, 60, 90 plan. Nick, can you give us a sense of what typically goes into that? Yep. So a 30, 60, 90 plan is a 30-day, 60-day, 90-day plan for what you're going to do to succeed in a role. It's like a short-term strategic vision for how you're going to actually attack that new job. And what you need to do is sit down with a pen and paper and actually think about in your first 30 days in a role, Look, you're probably not going to be closing deal right after left. You're probably going to be shadowing other reps. You're going to be reading case studies on your company's website, on competitors' website. You're probably going to do a CRM training. Literally write those things down in bullet point form under the first 30 days. Under the first 60 days, write down the things that you're going to be doing there. 
You're going to be getting demo ready. You're going to be running discovery calls on your own. Write down everything that comes into your brain that you feel like you need to do to be successful in this role. And look, even if you miss or the the interviewer doesn't end up using that, this is marketing collateral for yourself. It shows that, hey, you're going to take your development and success into your own hands. It should be like a two-page document with a couple bullet points. Maybe you even put in the first 30 days, schedule um, informational interviews with, um, and then write the names of reps that you researched online. Anything you can do to show, hey, I'm putting a lot of thought into this is a great way to stand out from the rest of the crowd. But now we're at the end of the interview. And there's a lot of different schools of thoughts about how you should end an interview. Do you just say, thank you so much for your time, hang up the phone, cross your fingers and hope and wait and pray? I do think there's enough people who feel that you have to close an interview because it is a sales job that you should have some plan for how you're going to end things. Can you voice over what you do? Yeah. And so to Nick's point, it's just like the one page resume thing where you don't have to do it, but enough people care about it. And so one way you can close your interview is just like, look, I really enjoyed the conversation. I know we're coming up on time here. Is there anything that I've left on the table or are there any reservations on your mind that we haven't discussed in open air? Because I would love it if you would share those things with me before we start moving forward. And you can use it as an opportunity to one, show that you're coachable, but then two, implicitly say like, hey, like, is there anything that's stopping us from moving forward together today? And you'll know where you stand. The other thing is start to drive towards next steps. So say like, hey, let's say this conversation went well. Like, what does the next step look like? How do I make sure that I'm successful in that next one? You'll show that you actually have the ability to run a sales cycle. And then once that interview ends, if you have a really good conversation with someone, the biggest money moment you can do is I love multi-threading in an interview cycle. So as I talk to other people, I'll send voice memos back or I'll send updates back to the champion or the hiring manager in the interview process saying, hey, I just talked to Nick. I just talked to Vicky. I just talked to Greg. Here's how those conversations went. So you nailed the interview. Armand said, no, I had no reservations. I loved your energy. You're going to be talking to XYZ next week. I'm finishing that interview. I'm multi-threading like you described. I got to send a thank you message. And yet again, I want to be different. And so 90% of people are going to send a stock thank you email. What I'm going to do is I'm going to flip open my favorite video application, Vidyard, and I'm going to film a video for Armand. I'm going to say exactly what I would have in that thank you email, but I've got my smiling face on It's another way to stand out. So you've gotten the offer letter. What do you do? All right. So one, when you get the offer letter, don't be the jerk that just goes, oh, that was really crappy, right? Show that you're thankful that you got an offer, but the negotiations do begin from the moment you have your first reaction. So the first thing is you need to suss out things that aren't necessarily related to comp, but they are related to how likely you are to achieve your comp. And so I see way too many folks join a 50% attainment team. And so ask them how many reps are hitting quota because OTE doesn't matter if you're not hitting your number. Number two is try not to join a completely stagnant or declining team that has actually lost headcount or they're only backfilling. So ask them like, hey, what are your plans to grow out the team? Number three is make sure that they have a real tech stack. If you have to send emails one at a time, make sure you work with a world-class tech stack so you can actually sell. And then the last thing is number four, 
you should be talking about ramp schedule and making sure that you're not going to bleed for the next six months as you build pipeline. What is the ramp schedule? Do you get a non-recoverable draw? Do you get credit towards quota? And then how many reps actually end up hitting that thing? Armand, what you should be doing is asking these questions. Even if you're in a horrible job and you know you're going to take this offer no matter what, you want to ask those questions so one, you don't get screwed, but two, it actually gives you more solid foundation for when you're negotiating. You're showing that you're being really, really thoughtful and you've shifted it now from you're selling them on why they should hire you to like, it's very clear that you are considering this role. You're not just happy-go-lucky, can't wait to take the job, you're considering it. And that gives you solid footing for when you try to get a little bit extra on the offer. Okay, so it comes time to negotiate the offer. My philosophy on this is you should always negotiate the offer professionally, positively, and with appreciation. You're never going to be a jerk with this. And look, if you've been offered a job, if you're professional in your negotiation, it's not going to get rescinded. I talked to somebody yesterday who was terrified that if they asked for anything more, that the offer would get pulled and they wouldn't get the job. That's not going to happen. If someone has taken the trouble to put you through multiple interviews and they're hiring for a role and you ask for an extra $3,000, well, look, the amount, if they don't, if they rescinded the offer, and they have to go back through a whole interview process with all sorts of other people and do more interviews and take all that time, that's worth a lot more than $3,000. You should always ask. And if you don't end up getting your ask, okay, fine. You had an opportunity to build your negotiation muscle. Always ask. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. But there's a couple different things that we can negotiate, Armand. And so let's talk about some of the levers that are available to us. You've got your equity package, right? The company can give you a certain amount of ownership in the organization. This is more common at startups than very long established businesses. You've got an OTE. What's the total amount of money that you should make your on target earnings? What's your signing bonus? Some companies will give you a signing bonus to sign the offer letter. And then a ramp schedule is another thing that you can negotiate. You're probably not going to be closing deals in your first month, which means you're probably not going to be hitting that OTE variable commission. Well, how do you get a little bit extra there? So when we receive the offer letter is when the negotiation starts. Armand gets on the Zoom. He's actually smiling for the first time this month. He's ready to give me an offer. And he says, Nick, we'd love to have you on the team. Here's what we're going to be able to give you. First thing is, I'm not going to be a jerk. You want to show a little bit of appreciation. Wow, I'm, I'm positive, I'm excited, but I'm not completely and utterly ecstatic. If I'm smiling so hard that Armand has to squint his eyes or put on sunglasses, that probably means I'm a little too excited. You want to be positive, but you also want to show that, hey, I need a little bit more here. So you should always be wrapping two or three other interviews. And the reason for this is if you can get two or three other comp data points at other good companies, at least you have a sense of what the market is. And just because one has the highest comp does not mean you should necessarily work for that company. You should work the, for the best company that has good comp and try to get that company to match the one that has the most comp. And so always be wrapping a couple of other interviews and ask politely when you ask. You can just say things like, look, I, I plan to be with a company for a long time and like, I, I got to take care of myself and make like the smart financial decision. And I hate doing this part of the thing, but I, I find that if you don't at the, ask at the beginning, like you're always playing this game of catch up. And just my observation is that the market is, is here and it was a little bit lower than I expected and leave it at that and see how the recruiters respond. And another way to phrase it is I'm really excited about this opportunity that you've offered me and 
I need to give some thought to what I'm going to end up doing. You offered me a base of $100,000, and if you could make it 104, that would make my decision that much easier. I'm expressing appreciation and excitement. I'm asking for something specific, not saying if there was some wiggle room, it would make things easier. And look, if you don't get it, you don't get it. But if you don't ask, you don't get. If they come back with a no, revert to something else. Switch to other negotiation playing fields. If they can't do anything about your base, but you've got a signing bonus, can they adjust that? Again, you've got to ask. You're never going to get if you don't ask. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. I think that's it. That's it. All right, folks. So we talked about building your top 25 accounts list. We talked about having a non-hideous resume together with short, punchy bullets. And then we got into prospecting. Network your way in. Cold call a VP of sales if you're bold. And then prep for your interviews by developing a point of view. In those first three minutes of the interviews, you need to be super, super, super punchy. Three minute max for your overview about what you do and talk about the high points and the transitions of your experiences. And then in that meaty middle of the interview, come in with a ton of energy, be brief and specific and answer in stories, but change it from having it be an interview to having it be a collaboration on how to be successful here. And then lastly, close up your interviews, put together your 30, 60, 90 plan, multi-thread, send your thank you emails. And then of course, when you're getting that offer, negotiate like a dog, ask. If you don't ask, you'll never get. And then lastly, drink a pina colada before you start the next job, because there are only a couple times in life where you're actually allowed to take a full break. And one of those times is between jobs. So everybody, that's all we got. Nick, how should people help us out? One of the things that warms my heart the most is when I get messages from hiring managers who say, we just hired three people and all of them mentioned they listened to our podcast. It's now part of our onboarding or ramp schedule. And if you're listening to this, you're probably interviewing for jobs or preparing to. And one of the things that I think sales leaders like to hear is that you invest in your own personal development. And thankfully, listening to this podcast is free. 
And so if you're going through an interview and you mention, you happen to mention that 30 minutes to president's club is part of how you develop yourself and get better as a salesperson, we would appreciate that. We like sales leaders knowing that we have made an impact on the sales community. That's all I have. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 minutes to president's club. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.